All right, hopefully that made you feel a little better this morning, I hope so. And the, the truth is, is nobody has it all together, do they? And, and we can come in here on Sunday morning and we can kind of act like we do, but we know we, we had some of that same chaos going before we got here. But being prepared certainly helps us uh, take on whatever life throws at us on a daily basis. It, it helps to be prepared. And some of y'all are prepared. Some of you are good at preparing. You do that well. You like doing that. And then there's some of us who uh, are not so good at doing that. Matter of fact, we just kind of go through life and prepare as we go. You, you like that maybe? Um, we kind of go with the flow to, to quote one of my favorite actors, the late John Candy, like a twig on the shoulders of a mighty stream. We just kind of run through life like that. But in life, we inevitably are going to end up um, living with or working with or dealing with people who are, are very well prepared or people that are not very well prepared. And depending on what kind of person you are, that might bug you. Or, you know, a lot of times we can't see. You can fake being prepared, can't you? Sometimes you can go in for a test and you can pretend you're prepared and you can do okay as a student because you just, you can do that. Sometimes you can go into work and you can fake being prepared and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But that's just eventually, you can't always see whether someone's prepared or not prepared, but eventually you will experience it. And we've been talking about, in the last few weeks, we've been doing a series called Invisible World, and we've been talking about this invisible spiritual world that is all around us that we can't really see, but we know in reality is there. And the Apostle Paul talks about this, and he talks about there's a struggle going on, he tells us, and he's specifically talking to this church in the first century in a place called Ephesus, and he writes this letter to these Ephesians, and he says, hey, your struggle in life, my struggle in life, is not against flesh and blood, not against people, we always want to blame it on somebody else, but it's against principalities, it's against these spiritual forces of power and authority that are in this dark world. And this struggle goes on in all of us, and Paul's saying it's happening in the first century, but here we are in 2018, and we're still talking about these struggles. And this struggle, as I've mentioned, and, and every week that I've talked about that, is this struggle, this struggle between the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God's character, living and acting in my life, and allowing God to meet my needs on a daily basis, every day, or we allow the flesh, our own self-centered human character, living in and acting in me, and trying to get my needs met through any other way except for God. And I kind of shut him out and do things on my own. And so we struggle with that. And I think if any of us are honest, we know that's true. Even if we've somewhere in our life said, I'm going to be a Christ follower, will we still struggle with that? Well, God's busy. I can handle this. And we try to do things on our own. And we end up acting in the flesh sometimes. So Paul said, and he was telling these Jesus followers in his culture and his time in this first century to put on the full armor of God in order to stand up against the devil's schemes. And we've talked about how you might think, oh, the devil's schemes, that's kind of out there, Craig. That's kind of weird talk. You know, I don't really understand. I don't even know if I really believe that. But in reality, we believe because it's talked about by Jesus himself, it's talked about by Paul and people throughout the Bible, that there is an evil force. And there is a real Satan, and he does try to trip us up. He does try to deceive us, and he does have schemes against us. So Paul told the Jesus followers in the first century to put on the full armor of God, and you'll be able to stand up against these schemes that the devil has against you. And, you'll, and he's trying to get you to live not by the Spirit, but by the flesh. So we've looked at the belt of truth, and uh, we talked about 
Paul is talking to an audience who, on a regular basis, every day of their lives, they see a Roman soldier, a foot soldier, walking around in their neighborhood, walking around in their city, where they go to work, where they do their activities, and they see this armor. And so when he's talking about this, they're, they're kind of going, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Paul. And so we talked about the belt of truth. That was the first one. And we talked about the very center, the very core of our character ought to be truth, ought to be God's truth. And it always matters when we have God's truth at the very core of who we are, and we believe that, we're able to see truth clearly in our own lives and discern that truth and act according to the situation and the, and the particular situation, regardless of what it is, with truth. Because we know that truth always matters. And then last week we talked about the breastplate of righteousness and this armor plate that they wore that went on their front and their back to protect their vital organs, and namely our heart, is so that our heart will reflect God's character and our heart needs to be protected. We don't act out of our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness, because if I'm going to act out of my own self-righteousness, I'm going to do whatever is best for me because that's in my best interest. That's how I'm in. I can't be objective. I'm always going to do what's best for me. But when I live by the Spirit, I'm able to put on the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm protecting my heart. I'm guarding my heart. When we put on that, we can reflect God's heart, His heart of righteousness, and that... That, that means I don't just think about me, but I think about other people. I think about other situations and how I should reflect God's heart in that situation. So again, remember that Paul is talking to a group of people that understand. They, they see this guy, this soldier, all the time, and so they're connecting with what he's talking about. So today we're going to talk about a third piece of God's armor that Paul described to the Ephesian church. And he talks about it, and we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at, I believe, verse 15. I think we're going to have that up on the screen. There it is. And he says, and so you have all this armor. And he says, and your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So that's what we're going to kind of uh, talk about today and, and camp out right there. On our feet that need to be prepared. They need to have these shoes, if you will. In those days, they were what? Sandals, okay? And you need to have those that, that are readiness. So we're going to talk about that. The Roman soldiers in that day had a special sandal that they wore in battle because one of the defensive weapons uh, that were used in warfare is that people would sharpen these sticks really, really sharp and they would stick them in the ground and they would just be barely sticking in the ground. And so not everybody had shoes in that culture. And so some of those in battle would step on one of those sticks barefooted you know, imagine how that would feel. And you would automatically be down a soldier because they would fall. They couldn't walk. They, they would be, you know, tending to their injuries. So they had to wear sandals to be aware of those kind of things. Um, I remember when I was a kid and as I grew up, a lot of times when you're a kid, you don't like to wear your shoes, right? You, you go everywhere without your shoes. You play outside without your shoes on. But somewhere, you know, you start putting on your shoes. And I'm telling you, so this summer, I went with my daughter Lauren to Whitewater. And I had to walk around Whitewater, y'all, barefooted for six hours. And I'm going to tell you something. I was the biggest baby. I was like, ow, ow. I mean, the, you know, the asphalt was hot. Every time I went up steps and they had that scratchy stuff, you know, so you don't slip at Whitewater because everything's wet. And I was like, ow, ow. I was, I was the biggest baby in the whole, I mean, the whole day. I mean, Lauren can tell you, golly, Dad, seriously? You know, but it hurt because I'm not used to, I'm used to wearing shoes and it was, it, was, it was a painful thing. So in warfare, they used those sticks, but there was also something that they would scatter on the ground. There were these four-pronged things. We got a picture of that. Can we get that up? There it is. Yes, I'm not making this up. These were called caltrips, okay? And they would, they would roll these on the ground. You can see there's four sides. So no matter how they land, you can see what's always going to be pointing up. 
Okay, so they would scatter those on the ground, and after a while, the Romans, because they were the world powers, that everybody that's a soldier knows that people use these against us, so we're going to have to have these sandals that have a hard sole on them, that if you step on one of those, can you imagine if you stepped on one of those, what would happen? You'd be down. Now, not only was it against soldiers, but can you imagine what that would do in the hoof of a horse? Or camels. Now, they rode camels in the Middle East, and they said these, because they have soft hooves, not like hard ones like um, horses, that can you imagine what that would do for somebody riding a camel? It would bring it down like that. And it would also stick into um, chariots that they rode during battle, and this would cause problems. So they understand this kind of thing, these, these cultures that, would, that would, they would just scatter a bunch of them, and people were running and not paying attention. You step on one of those, could you imagine what that would feel like? So the Romans knew that they had to have a special sandal that was hard and that they could be protect themselves against that. Now, I want to show another picture. Even today, this is a one that is used today. Now, you see that one's a little different because it's hollow. You know sometimes when police are chasing a bad person and they can't catch them and they will wait and they'll radio ahead and they'll throw out that thing with all those different spikes on it. Have you ever seen that? They'll roll that spike out and that spike will pop the tires of the bad guys or the criminals or whatever and eventually... It'll make that vehicle slow down enough so they can bump them and move them over, or it'll just, you know, flat the tire. Well, this, you can buy these little things you throw on the ground. You're not, they're not legal, but you can buy them on the Internet. I found this out. Not that I was trying to get any. <laughs> Making people stay at church longer than they want to, no. Um, but these are hollow, and you know what flat-run tires are? Self-sealing tires that are on some cars. They're very expensive, but if you run over a nail, it just automatically seals up, right? And you can just keep rolling. But these, as you see, are hollow all the way through. They can throw those, and some of the bad guys have figured this out. If I'm trying to get away and I have these self-sealing tires, I can, they can throw all that little thing with all those things in there, and I'll just keep going because it it'll puncture my tires, but it'll self-sealing. But these go into the tire, and because they're hollow, the air comes out. Can you see that? It's amazing. So something back in that century that was used is still being used today because if they have flat-run tires, they throw those out there, and they can still flatten their tires and catch up with the crumbs. I just thought that was interesting. Um, so if anybody needs those, they are available. Um, so he says your feet need to be protected. They need to be, you need to have the feet of readiness. And it was very important to have these heavy soles to protect against things like that. And those sticks that they buried and were coming up out of the ground. And just basically, if you had a soft foot, you know, that was something you needed. And the sandal, the Roman soldier was, uh, had these straps. You may have seen pictures before where they would strap all the way up to around their calf area and hold that sole on. And uh, Josephus, who was an early Jewish historian, described these th shoes that the Romans wore were thickly studded with sharp nails as to ensure a good grip. So kind of like golf shoes, I would say like golf shoes used to be. Y'all remember when golf shoes used to have real spikes on them when you walked on the concrete? It was a really cool sound. When it, you know, I'm not doing it correctly, but you know what I'm talking about. And now they're softer because people couldn't walk on the greens, right? And they tear the greens all up. But it had those kind of spikes in it because it would help them get a grip. And uh, the military success of both Alexander the Great, you probably heard of him in history class and Julius Caesar, they, he says, was due in large measure to their armors being well, I would think you would say shooed, but it's not shooed, the word is shod. They would be well shod 
and thus be able to take on long marches and incredible speed over really tough terrain, even with those kind of things that they would throw out there, because they were prepared for that. They knew what to prepare, and their feet were very important. If you couldn't stand up, if you couldn't walk, if you couldn't run, you were not prepared as a soldier. So you can see that the culture that Paul's talking about, they say, yeah, it is important to have the right shoes on. And they were also fitted um, in their... um, their shin area with these brass called, I believe they were called sheaves that they would put on, um, greaves, I'm sorry, and they would fit on their legs and shin. That was also a form of protection. So again, uh, the people in this culture are seeing this and they understand. So we understand why Paul is using this illustration. And again, it was something that most people in that culture could identify with because they had seen these soldiers. And they may have even stepped on a cauldron, you know, They may have seen one of those. They may have stepped on one. They may have had a friend or a family member or heard of someone who stepped on one of those and what happened to their foot and the infection or whatever that happened. So as Paul used this analogy in the spiritual world, we have to think about our feet need to be ready. And he talks about the gospel of peace. But Satan is going to try to throw out those little pointy things in our life. Because he wants to slow us down. He wants to stop us from going in the direction and being that the person that God has called us to be in this life. And if he can throw those out and and, and render us helpless, then that's what he wants to do in our daily walk. There are unforeseen things that the enemy is trying to put in our way to stop us, to slow us down, to injure us so that we will not be effective, that we won't be the person that God created us to be, wherever that may be, as a parent, as a student. As a worker, whatever it is, he's trying to trip us up. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, wrote this. He says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, he says, with gentleness and respect. So sometimes it's not a physical thing, but it's a mental or emotional thing. Someone's going to ask us about why we believe what we believe. We were talking in Sunday school this morning, all, uh, interesting about the creation of the world and all the, how science and, and um, the Bible, how does that mesh together? And there's people who say, oh, well, they don't mesh together. And we were talking about how, well, God created both, so of course they mesh together. But how important it is to be able uh, to, to mesh those together. But you should always be able to give to someone else, the reason for the hope that you have. Well, my hope is in Christ. My hope is in God. But why? Somebody's going to inevitably ask you that. And he's saying, Peter's saying, be ready. Be prepared to know why you believe what you believe. Why your faith is what it is. People want to know from a personal level what that is and why that is. And Peter also said this in his same letter. Be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. These same kind of terms that that um, Paul's talking about. He said, hey, the devil's prowling around. He's looking for someone he might devour. You need to be alert. You need to be prepared. So what are some of the traps or things that Satan uses to trip us up or to injure us in our life, to significantly limit our ability to move forward, to be who God's called us to be, who he's created us to be? What are some of the things? Now, obviously, we don't really step on real metal spikes, but there's things that trip us up, and I was trying to think about some of those. And I'm sure as I'm asking that question, you can think of some on your own. But I thought about relationships. And you said, relationships? How does relationships trip you up? Anybody having some relationship issues right now? Don't raise your hand. You can write it on a prayer request and we'll pray for you. But we all have problems with relationships, don't we? And there's a great book, and I would recommend it to anybody. And actually, I was inspired to preach this sermon because one of our seniors 
Uh, Emma Wilson gave a testimony on Youth Sunday, and she talked about C.S. Lewis and one of his books, uh, The Screwtape Letters. And I was thinking about this sermon when she got up and did that. I go, that's it. That's a confirmation for me that I'm going to do this. But in that book, it's a fiction book, but he talks about... Um, uh, devils talking to other devils about how to trip people up in this invisible world that, that Paul's talking about. He wrote a book about it. And C.S. Lewis said, hey, don't become overly obsessed with devils, but don't either, on the other side of that coin, say they don't exist and they're not real. He said, but I wrote this book to make you aware that they are real. And this may be how they operate. And so he writes, it's like a, a junior devil and a senior devil. And a senior devil is saying, I hear you're working on this guy, but this is where I want you to trip him up. You know how his mom irritates him? Keep working on that. You know how the guy at work irritates him? Or you know how he's thinking about cheating at work? Keep, keep trying to get him to do that. And you read this book. So it's called um, Screwtape Letters. Read it. It's fascinating. Again, it's a fiction book. But when you think about this invisible world that Paul's talking about, C.S. Lewis made it real. And you think, wow, there's somebody that's trying to trip us up constantly. So in relationships, that can happen. And in that book, there's a lot of relational things that go on that these junior and senior devils try to mess with people's relationships. They can be destructive. They can be obsessive. They can be controlling. And if we are not have the right armor on, that can happen. Technology. And I know y'all say, oh, you're always talking about that, Craig. But when it, stop be when it stops being a problem, I'll stop talking about it. But technology, whether it's computers or our phone or, the, or even the TV or, or whatever, our tablets that we're always on, either playing games or shopping or just flipping or reading social media, whatever it is, these things can keep us and distract us from real, meaningful relationships. Have you ever had to try to have a conversation with someone and they're doing this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scrolling. I'm, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I am listening. What? You ever had that? It's frustrating, isn't it? And that can be a distraction. It can keep us from our relationship. But technology is not a bad thing. And we can use it in a powerful way to get the gospel out. And people are doing that. So I'm not against it. But we need to be careful. And it can become a, a, a trip up for us. Work. Especially for, and I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but especially for men, we're kind of wired that we really like our work and what we do. Not that women don't. Not saying that that's you know, a broad brushing with that. But just in general... Lots of us can get so into our work that we neglect other things that are important, other priorities. And our work is important. Well, I've got to put food on the table. I've got to pay for this house. I've got to do that. All of that's true. But sometimes our work can make our families feel that they're less important than my work and my job. And we can do that sometimes. And Satan can work on that. Even our hobbies or interests. Those can be great, and those can be fascinating things, and those can be um, great things that help bring us closer in relationships with other people. But sometimes our hobbies and our interests can be a priority over our friends. They can become obsessive and come between relationships, and we have to be careful with that. How about miscommunication or lack of communication? That happens all the time. If I can just hear a part of what you said, or if I can just read a part of what you put on your social media, and I can start talking about it. Can you believe what so-and-so, but did you read the whole thing? No, I just read that part, and we start talking about it. Lack of communication. One of my favorite lines that has come out in the last few years that I read, I can't even remember where I read it, but it says, when communication breaks down, imagination takes over. How true is that, y'all? When communication breaks down, imagination takes over. Because I don't know, we haven't communicated well, so I'm thinking. And my imagination takes over, why didn't you call me back? You just didn't want to respond. You just don't care about me. You see how we do with that? You see how Satan does it? That's right, they don't care about you. That's why they didn't respond to that email. 
We don't really know, but all of a sudden the imagination takes over, and by the time we're finished spinning all these details, it's into something that is not even true. But that's how Satan can work on that. How about this? When we have difficult times, when we've had a loss, when we've had to suffer, when we are in pain or in trouble, then Satan works on that. See there? God doesn't love you. If God really loved you, why would he let you go through this pain? Why would he let you go through that loss? Why would he let you go through that suffering if he really loved you? What kind of God is that? He couldn't possibly. He talks about love. That's not true. He wouldn't have let that happen to you. He wouldn't have let that happen to your friend. He wouldn't have let that happen to your loved one. And so now all of a sudden we start saying, yeah, I'm not worthy of God's love. He's punishing me for something. Or he doesn't really care about me. Or God is a a God that really doesn't, doesn't have compassion. He really doesn't have love. And then Satan starts working on us on that. And we don't really know. So certainly, the devil can throw out those things. And they might be physical things, but emotional and spiritual things that just get us off course. And we can think ahead and be prepared by putting on the right shoes with tough soles and being ready for these cauldrops that are ready to trip us up. So we have to be ready. And, and Paul talks about this gospel of peace, readiness. Be ready, be aware. Know that, guess what? I can promise you this. You are going to have loss in your life. You are going to have some suffering in your life. You are going to have some hard times in your life. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It's part of life, isn't it? It's part of this fallen world. And in our Wednesday night study, we were talking the other day, I can't think of any person in the Bible that I've read about my whole entire life that did not go through pain and suffering. But in that pain and suffering, they learned better who they were and they learned better who God was. That's how God teaches us. And we want to avoid that. And I understand that. I'm not going, I can't wait till something painful and some loss happens in my life so I can be closer to God. That's not what I'm saying. But God can certainly work through that. But Satan's going to work through those times and try to distract you from what God is really trying to teach you through that difficult time. And he will do it. The gospel of peace. And I don't think this peace is not this nervous, this readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's not this nervous, worrying state of what needs to be done or prepared where it causes anxiety. Have you ever been around somebody that right before something big, they drive you crazy because they're always, they're so nervous about getting everything just perfect. You like being around people like that? If you're one of those people, God bless you because it matters to you. I'm not saying you're a bad person, but it matters to you. This has got to be perfect. It's got to be right. I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of OCD on some things. Sometimes during the week, we have these boards that I had a, a church member make us, and I, I, we actually use them to measure the length between the seats that you're sitting in. Not kidding, okay? We do that. I know you're like, oh, that guy's a nut. But that's not what I'm talking about, the anxious stuff. But I want it to be right. I want when people come in here that they, you know, they can get through the seat and that kind of stuff. But that's not what we're talking about. Peace, does that remind you of peace when you're anxious and you're nervous and you're worrying? I think it's a preparedness that comes from the gospel, the good news of peace. The gospel means good news, and he's saying the good news of peace should make you ready for any and all situations. You know whether they're good or bad, you're going to be prepared for them. Remember the story of Martha and Mary in the Bible? Jesus was two friends of Jesus and and, and, sisters of, of Lazarus, and he would go to their house, and one time... Martha's all upset, and she's getting everything ready and prepared for the meal or whatever they're doing that night. And Mary's just sitting there. And Martha, you can tell, she's just fuming. What in the world? And finally she goes, Jesus, don't you even care that my sister's just sitting there doing nothing and I'm having to do everything? Thinking that she's brought this to Jesus' attention because he doesn't realize it. 
the creator of the universe, the Son of God, doesn't know what's going on here. And he's saying, Martha, Martha, you know, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is important. And Mary's found that. She's sitting at my feet, listening to me. And it's not that Jesus isn't saying, I appreciate the meal you're cooking. I appreciate you making it look very good in this house. All of that's important, and you're doing that to make people feel good. I understand that. But at the end of the day, Martha, the thing that's most important is that you have a sense of peace. And you're sitting and listening and having relationships. That's what matters most. We can have peace with God. I think that's what this means. When we put on these shoes that give us the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We can have peace with God. I've been reconciled. While we were still sinners, Paul says, that's when Christ died for us. Not when we got it all together, because just like that video, we're never going to get it together and have a perfect Sunday where everything goes perfect. That's just not going to happen. But while we were still sinners, I have peace with God, knowing that God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, He has saved me and reconciled me and brought me back to Him. Though there's evil around me, he's saying, I've provided you with a warning and I've provided you with the armor. I can have peace with myself. I'm no longer anxious and worried about all these things and that I'm disconnected or I'm disappointed God. You ever had parents that you were always worried about disappointing them? You ever grow up like that? That's a tough way to grow up, isn't it? Can never do enough, can never please them. And when you think like that and believe like that, you know what? You put that on to God. God's always disappointed. I can never do enough to make him happy. He's just like my mom or my dad. God's not like that. He's happy with you just the way you are. You know why? Because he created you just the way you are. And he wants you to become that person that he created you just the way you are. Now, he loves you enough to call you out when you're not being who he created you to be. And you need to make some adjustments. But there's a peace in knowing that God took me right where I was and is leading me to where he wants me to be. And I don't have to worry about disappointing him and being disconnected from him. I can be myself by the Spirit and display God's character. And though there's evil, again, though there's evil all around me, God's warned me and he's given me the armor to protect me. So I can be at peace with God. I can be at peace with myself, and I can be at peace with others, even when people disagree with me. You ever, you ever had a friend that you were pretty good friends with, and then all of a sudden they disagreed with something, like in politics or with religion or with some kind of family deal? That work out real good? And all of a sudden, it's like, what in the world? I wish I'd never brought this up. That's why they say don't talk about politics and stuff like that at, the, at Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, that, those kind of things. But it can happen. But you can be at peace with others when someone has an alternative view than you do about something. You don't lose your mind. You don't become critical. You don't become judgmental. You simply listen to that and maybe say, well, why do you think like that? How did you come up with that way of thinking? Let me tell you how I came up with that way of thinking about that issue the way I do. You have a peace about it. It doesn't bother. It doesn't throw you off. I have a peace that God has shown me the truth and wants me to share it with others. Can I share that truth with you that I believe God's shown to me? Even when someone is acting deceptively or wishing me harm, I can have a sense of peace knowing that that's not really them. They're acting in the flesh. They're not acting in the spirit. They're acting in the flesh. What's making them act like that? They're not being who they really were created to be. And I feel bad for them that they're not being who God's called them to be. And I feel bad for them. And I can have a sense of peace that maybe God, through me, can change that person, help make some change. Though there's evil all around me, God has provided warning and God has provided that armor. 
And I can have peace even in trouble, even though I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand what in the world good can come from this, God. I see nothing good that comes from this hurt, from this pain, from this loss that I'm going through right now. I can somehow have a peace that God has a greater plan because He is bigger than I am. He can see the picture much bigger as it unfolds than I ever can or ever could. I find peace in the promise that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Those who are called according to His purpose. You know who that includes? Every one of you. All of us. We were all called. We were all created for God's purpose. And it all works toward the good. It doesn't say in all things God works good things always. It works for the good. Which means God in the time of loss and suffering and pain can still make something good come of it. And some of you who have been through that and been come out of that can look back and go, I would never want to go through that again. But in the process of that, God taught me some amazing lessons about who He was and who I am and things about life that I never, ever would have learned if I had not gone through that pain and suffering. So we can have peace even in trouble. And that's what I think Paul's saying. Our feet, we need to be ready, ready with the gospel of peace that whatever comes my way, I understand that God's called me to do something powerful in this world. And Paul is telling us that we're not only preparing for every day, but for eternity. Jesus told several parables about being ready. But I think it's interesting that in all of those parables, Jesus waited till the very end to talk about the judgment, some of the parables that kind of disturb us a little bit. I want to give you some homework. I would challenge you to read the 25th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 25. You can write that down if you're taking notes, or if you're not, just keep it in your head, or... Text it on yourself, whatever your reminder thing is. Read chapter 25. In chapter 25, Jesus has these three parables that emphasize being ready and prepared and acting on that preparation. Ten virgins, five were prepared for the bridegroom coming late. They took extra oil for their lamps. And when it got later and later in the night and the bridegroom still hadn't come, they had extra oil and they were able to meet. The other five did not. They go, hey, give us some of their oil. And they say, hey, no, we, if we give it to you, then we won't have any. You don't have to go get your own back in town. And when they did, they couldn't get into the party later. He talked about being prepared. A master entrusts talents and money to his servants. Some prepared and invested that money and made more interest for um, their masters. And when he came home, he said, look, you gave me this money. I put it to work. I was prepared. Here's your investment with some interest on it, except for one person. And he says, I knew you were a hard, you drove a hard bargain, so I just buried that money. He goes, what in the world? I could have done that myself. You wicked and lazy servant. Why did you not take why were you not prepared what God had given you? And then there's probably the one that's the most convicting. It's called the sheep and the goats. And Jesus basically said some folks were prepared and acted and served the least of these in their lifetime. And when they saw people who were hungry, when they saw people who were thirsty, when they saw people who were naked, when they saw people who needed a visit and needed some time, they simply did that. And he said, well done, Good and faithful servant for doing that. You saw some of the least of these people and their needs and you did something about it. And they go, when did we see you? He said, if you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And other people said, when did we see you? We never saw you. He goes, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. You weren't prepared. You weren't living by the Spirit. You were living by the flesh. It was all about you. And you missed all these needs around you. So I think about that. 
And I ask myself, living in the Spirit is living and acting through the character of God by seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness and connects us eternally with God. We are not unprepared now or when Christ returns when we live through the Spirit. So this morning, I want you to look at your shoes right now. Everybody, some of you are doing it or you're asleep. I don't know which it is. Look at your shoes. What did, what did you, why did you put those shoes on this morning? They look good. They match my outfit. That's why I put them on. They're cool. They're comfortable. There's a reason you did. But they are supporting you, aren't they? You're going to get up and you're going to walk out of here. And you chose those shoes for a reason. And you knew they would hold up for you. Your life is supported and grounded either by you believing that you can figure it all out as you go on your own. You don't need God. Or realizing that this life is not easy. You will have trouble, as Jesus said. But he said, but take heart. I have overcome the world and the trouble that you worry about. And the God that created you and has given you not only his armor to protect you, but he's also, y'all, given us his son to save us. And here's the truth. We don't just need to be protected by God. We need ultimately to be saved by God. And he did that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, you've looked at your shoes. How will you walk out of here today? Hopefully not like the family we saw, not prepared, you know. Barefoot, the one kid, you know. He was probably happy. Unprepared and faking it. Seriously, how will you and I walk out of here today? On your own or with the gospel of peace? Knowing that you're ready for today, you're ready for tomorrow, and most importantly, you are ready for eternity. That's what God calls us to do and to know. And we can have hope in that and we can have confidence that we are prepared for today, tomorrow, and eternity. And that's the hope.